Hey everybody, I'm Rachel Bonetta. And I'm Rechna Frafam. And this is Hall of Shame. Hi, Rachel. Hey, girl. How are you Here we are. I'm all right, you know. I have, like, manifested the largest zit on my face. Where is it? Can you stop? No, I can't see it. You're just being nice. I'm not just being nice. I can't see it. Over Zoom. It's like my avatar on Zoom now. And it hurts so bad. And this is just a representation of my life right now. I think our faces are all getting used to our masks. Mm. And maybe our pores are, you know adjusting. You know what? This segues nicely into what I want to talk to you about, which is high school. Because <laughs> okay. I want to ask you, Rachel, were you more mm. of a golden child or like a black sheep? Like where, how were you framed? In high school? Um, oh man, I was probably... Here, I'll give you an example. Yeah. I was in my family, in my Indian American immigrant family, a black sheep because... I was a weirdo and like different things than like I was supposed to like or whatever. But then to my white friend's parents, I was like the good one (laughs) because I got good grades or whatever. Yeah. I would say I was the black sheep in my family. I was very obsessed with witches when I was younger. So definitely I think it's like <laughs> definitely a weird, weird situation. Yeah. My brothers were all very scared of me. Like they tell me these stories about how I used to creep them out. Like I used to like put dolls in places and I would talk about the witches in our backyard. I think it's what happened. My brother saw the Blair Witch Project and I just wanted to fit in. I just wanted to be a part of it. And I just took oh. it to a level that was not okay. That's like what kids do. Like, oh, that's cool. I'm going to love rainbows forever. (laughs) Exactly. And then I just became obsessed with witches. And then everyone in my family was afraid of me. So (laughs) I would say I'm a black sheep for sure. (laughs) I mean, let's be honest. All of us, most of us, are in a box that encompasses both. Like sometimes we're golden children. Sometimes we're black sheep, right? Yeah. Yeah. But we get boxed in a lot. And today I want to talk to you about a famous athlete who I think was perceived one way, but whose truth like was pretty different. And that person is tennis player Maria Sharapova. Ooh, this one's gonna be good. Fun. So I wanna begin today's story on March 7th, 2016. There's a bunch of reporters sitting in one of those weird hotel ballrooms with the ugly carpet at the L.A. Hotel downtown, awaiting the arrival of the hero of our story today, 29-year-old tennis superstar. She was 29 at the time, Maria Sharapova. And she has called a press conference on short notice. Hello, everyone. Thank you um, for being here on on such short notice. Um, So they're all sitting there. Maria decked out in a black suit that's kind of like it looks all business, but then if you look closer, it's like all business adjacent because it's like cropped and like there's a ribbon. Oh, one of Classic Maria. Anyway, (laughs) she walks out in front of what I got to tell you is the saddest beige curtain I have ever seen. And she like unfolds a piece of paper and everyone's like, what is she going to say? Thank you um, for being here on on such short notice. Um, is her candy brand, Sugar Pova, coming out with a new line of gumdrops? Like, we are on the edge of our seats. I wanted to let you know that a few days ago, I... But, Rach, before I tell you what she said, let's get to know a girl a little bit. 
Yeah. Okay. Oh my gosh, you've left this on such a cliffhanger. What happens with the business suit? I need to know. (laughs) So Maria Sharapova was born on April 19th, 1987 in Russia. And she played professional tennis for Russia, but has lived in and been a permanent resident of the U.S. since 1994. Have you ever been to Russia before? No, I know you have because you love those hot dogs. Those yeah. Russian hot dogs that got it's you so a, sick. It's a wild place. Anyway, the story goes, as a child in Russia, Maria Sharapova went to a youth tennis clinic and met famous Czech player Martina Navratilova mm-hmm. while she was there. Martina saw Maria's talent and recommended to her parents that they get in touch with Nick Boliteri. If you remember from the Monica Sellis episode, yeah, he's like a was, big tennis guy. Yes. I was wondering uh, why I recognized that name. Yeah. He like coached Monica Sellis, Andre Agassi, both Williams sisters. Long, was, long list Was his poster up, up in your bedroom too because you just wanted him as a coach more than anything? <laughs> so in 1994, Maria and her father pack up. They leave Russia and they head to Florida where the Nick Boliteri Academy is based. Um, They had to borrow money from Maria's grandparents just to get there. And then they got there and they were turned away because it's invitation only, which I was like, maybe. Oh, drop a Google search. Definitely like make a call before you (laughs) leave Russia. They left Russia for Florida, which has got to be a long flight. (laughs) Just another piece of context that's probably important. She was only seven years old at the time, which is too young to enter anyway. Can I ask you, you've got two <laughs> kids. What if What if one of them, I mean, you've told me both of them are wicked smart. What, what if one of them wants to, to do something like in Russia? Like, are you, what would you do? I'm a big like, let's grow horizontally and not vertically <laughs> as humans. So I think... It would have to be a passion. I don't know. I Case by case. But in, in general, I'm like, kids should get to be kids. It's, it's very, I'm, I always just find parents that like, whether it's like moving them to Hollywood to become yeah. a child actor at like seven years old. I just find that so fascinating. It's, it's fascinating. And I don't want to overgeneralize because I'm sure it's not always true. But it often seems accompanied by the parents own like vicarious Right? desires than it is by just the pure like I want to do right by my kids so yeah tricky not always though but often mm-hmm. I feel like Maria's dad at seven years old flying her from Russia to the U.S. like to move there without doing just like the smallest bit of research probably falls into the category of like, uh, I think not doing my best job as a parent <laughs> you mean I get to leave Russia and go live in Florida where it's <laughs> got beaches and Beautiful things and people yeah. not actually know Florida does have people yelling and being crazy yeah. too. <laughs> anyway, she then got another coach, spent two years training, came back to the academy at age nine, which she could get in now. She was the, an inappropriate age for it. And she did so well in those tryouts that she was given a full scholarship. So she showed a lot of promise. Wow. Do you know if they moved back to Russia between those two years? No, I think they stayed here. Like that was wow. his parents were like, you already borrowed it. I'm not giving you more cash to come back because <laughs> you're, you're so there. dumb and didn't like do a preliminary just like info search. Wow. Anyway, she's Maria Sharapova started competing on the world tour in 2001. And at the age of 17 wow. in 2004, so she upset the favorite Serena wow. Williams at the finals of Wimbledon. Wow. <laughs> 
which promised like one hell of a career, one hell of a rivalry. To give Maria Sharapova her due credit, she is one of only 10 women to hold a career Grand Slam in singles, which means she's won each of the majors, the Australian, the French, Wimbledon, and the U.S. Open at least once. Just for context, others who have achieved this are Serena Williams, who we just talked about, Steffi Groff, Margaret Court, Chris Ever, and Martina Navratilova. So, like, pretty incredible company. Pretty Mm -hmm. good. But despite that original upset of Serena in 2004 that promised this, like, just like, oh, man, this new upstart, her career record against Serena at the end of her career was 20 and 3. (laughs) <laughs> so, like, Sharapova did well. Don't get me wrong. She was real good. But maybe not in that, like, elite, elite status. Mm-hmm. Like, she never quite lived up to that upset. She does have 36 total singles titles with a career record of 645 and 171, which means she's won 79% of the, the time she's played, which is she's great. She's won a hell of a lot more than she's lost. Yeah, not too shabby. For contrast, Serena Williams has 73 singles career titles and an 85.3 winning percentage. And Steffi Groff had 107 career titles with an 88.7 winning percentage. So again, really good. She's in the company. But not like right up, not up there. Yeah. And yet when it came to making money, (laughs) right up there. She was at many points the highest paid female athlete in the world. Despite not being in that tippy-top echelon tennis-wise, she was a bigger star with more endorsements than a lot of her contemporaries, even ones that Mm. were arguably better at tennis. I think I know where this (laughs) is going. Well, look, she is pretty. She's super tall. She's a skinny mini blonde, which is like Mm -hmm. the white lady triple crown. (laughs) Like, (laughs) you know, that's the lottery. And she was a tennis darling, which is an image she definitely worked hard to cultivate she kind of knew she wasn't serena level good but what she could crush was trading on this idea of her that people had because of her looks where they assumed she was fairly wholesome and drama free so just like in advertisers and the tennis association's wet dream everything about her and she loved to play up to it um She also, despite the fact that it really wasn't, built up this rivalry with Serena Williams in her head. So in her 2017 memoir called Unstoppable, My Life So Far, she talks about what she considers their fraught relationship. And it becomes very clear that Serena looms large in Maria's idea of herself and her history. What's less clear is how real that rivalry really is. So wait, was she like talking shit about Serena and her book? Yeah. Oh, girl, let's get there. There have been many a think piece written about how racially charged and coded Sharapova's language was around it. Yeah. (laughs) So here's a quote from Maria Sharapova's book, which writer and journalist Bim Adewumni references. First of all, Sharapova writes, William's physical presence is much stronger and bigger than you realize watching TV. She has thick arms and thick legs and is so intimidating and strong. Yeah, she's stronger than you, you little baby. (laughs) (laughs) Adewumni also noted that the rivalry that was set up by Sharapova's Wimbledon upset of Serena never really materialized into much of anything, which I think now we've covered. (laughs) Like, She had this one big win... And then everybody, Maria, most herself, wanted to create a narrative around it. But it it was like a story mostly made up in her head. 
Yeah. That's uh, yeah. So Vox writer Alex Abad Santos says that he doesn't really think the Serena Maria drama is like a really true sports rivalry. He considers it more like a feud. And so when it comes to feuding, well, that's a place where our girl Maria can hang with the best. It unlike in like tennis. It's very <laughs> one-sided though. I mean, we haven't yeah. heard from Serena yet, but it sounds like somebody is jealous as hell. I find these like one-sided sports rivalries so funny. Like there's a I'm going to get in trouble saying this, I think, but there's like a huge rivalry between Ohio State and Michigan. It's like one of the great rivalries in football. Uh-huh. But Michigan State's like our biggest rival is Michigan. But Michigan's like it's mine is Ohio State. But it's like that funny thing, like, you know what I'm <laughs> talking just, about? They're just trying so hard. I think we all have them in our heads, like not even in sports where there's like a rival, but like they're only a rival. You're not a rival back to them. Yeah. You just (laughs) want that rivalry because it makes you look like you're in that. You're in the mix. That you're a contender when you're not. How I feel Maria is with Serena. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, Maria Sharapova, despite cultivating this image, is a petty bitch. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean Serena couldn't throw it back. In an interview before Wimbledon in 2013, with Rolling Stone, she said of Maria Sharapova, she begins every interview with, I'm so happy. I'm so lucky. It's so boring. <laughs> She's still not going to be invited to the cool parties. And hey, if she wants to be with the guy with a black heart, go for it. <gasps> Serena was referencing her ex-boyfriend, who at the time was Maria's current boyfriend. Whoa, whoa, whoa. They shared a boyfriend? Sher- Sharapova threw this back to the press about Serena If she wants to talk about something personal, maybe she should talk about her relationship and her boyfriend that was married and is getting a divorce and has kids. (laughs) She has so much in her life, many positives, and I think that's what it should be about. Okay, so, like, that's a real weird way to (laughs) characterize your rival. (laughs) Adewumni also noted that the rivalry was set up by Sharapova's Wimbledon upset of Serena early in her career, but, like, as we've now said multiple times, that didn't really materialize into her career. Yeah, it happened the one time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the point is Sharapova had a history of throwing jabs Serena's way. She just like, it's like this figure that she knew she kind of like didn't live up to being a true rival of, but like so spent her life like trying to create a rivalry. And so she'd Tried constantly say these weird things coded in her like Maria Sharapova I'm a golden child language but we all see what she's doing and I'm like Maria that is so fake like when somebody says something like really dark and mean but they end it with like we should just focus on the positive it's like you were just (laughs) throwing so much shade there's like I was like bitch you started that drama (laughs) I didn't realize how hilarious this was I can't Exciting. Okay, so even though Serena, I think most would say, was the best female tennis player for this whole period of time, the highest salary was held by Maria Sharapova. Oh. Despite her record being nowhere near as impressive, it wasn't until 2016 that Serena finally broke Sharapova's 11-year streak as the highest-paid woman athlete. So, like, it happened, so that's good. But, like... 
Sharapova, by the way, is still the second highest grossing sportswoman of all time, according to Forbes. Second to Serena, of course. But even like across female sports, let's say, there are so many people who have dominated their sports more than Maria Sharapova. I think of Maria Sharapova and I don't think of tennis. I mean, I know she's a tennis player, but I think that I think of her more as like, oh, maybe I'm an asshole for saying this. But like, I think of her more as like a front, like a celebrity. Sure. Not because she's a fame, like an athlete. She's just like one of those people that are famous. Yes. She's beautiful and she's got her candy. Why does she have candy? candy. She loves candy. As a child, she loves candy. So do I. Yeah. Where's your candy? (laughs) I don't know. This is bullshit. (laughs) Um, Look, to be fair, it's not Sharapova's fault if sponsors want to pay her a ton of money. It's just pointing out that the image she wants to portray and the human that she actually is are pretty different. Like, she loves to promote this idea of herself as an upstart or ingenue, like the skinny kid who beat Serena at Wimbledon all those years ago, as she literally refers to herself in her memoir. Like, she thinks of herself as some sort of underdog. And to me, it's like when Taylor Swift was like, look at me and my model friends. All of us, we feel awkward just like you. And we're like, "Uh uh-uh, you do not. (laughs) No. Rewind. And I feel like Sharapova does that same thing. That's no, no one's feeling sorry for any of these people. No. And so considering her image in the sport as like a wholesome rule following woman and her spot as a media darling, what comes next is very much outside of this narrative, which takes us back to this fateful day in March where we started. But before we get to it, we're going to an ad break. Hall of Shame is brought to you by Molson Coors Miller. Miller High Life is an unpretentious quality beer, yes it is, (laughs) with refreshing champagne-like tiny bubbles in an iconic glass bottle. I agree. I agree with that. Yeah, we love beer. And we love Miller Lite. Simple summer moments don't have to be big to call for a celebration. That's right. I brushed my hair today. You put on pants today? That's it. Does that count? Drink a Miller High Life. (laughs) You showered three days ago? Drink a Miller High Life. (laughs) Celebrate yourself, girl. Miller High Life is the champagne of beers, a quality beer within everyone's reach created to bring pride to the simple things in life, an iconic brand you can be proud to hold. Miller High Life has been faithfully brewed the same way since its start on New Year's Eve in 1903. Raise a can to celebrate summer's simple moments with Miller High Life. This summer, Miller High Life will release limited edition champagne cans to celebrate summer special simple moments. In stores now, available for a limited time only. Miller High Life, the champagne of beers, a quality beer within everyone's reach. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Hall of Shame is brought to you by Stitch Fix. In the world of clothes shopping, there are no consistent sizes. Why should we have to try to guess if a medium is really a medium or constantly have to return clothes purchased online to find something that fits perfectly? 
Stitch Fix is a personal styling company that brings you the world of fashion and style. It's a completely different and fun way to find clothes that you will love that's all about you every time. To get started, go to stitchfix.com shame to set up your profile and they will deliver great looks personalized just for you in your colors, styles, and budget. You pay a $20 styling fee for each fix, which is credited towards anything you keep. Schedule at any time. There's no subscription required. Plus shipping, returns, and exchanges are easy and free. Stitch Fix does the hard work for you, making great style effortless for everybody, including women, men, and kids. I love this. You know, it's tough to go out and shop right now. This gets delivered to yeah. your front door. There's lots of cute stuff. I got a really cute jumper that I am planning on wearing in 2027, and <laughs> uh, it'll be great. It'll be great when you go out in 2027. <laughs> I got a cute, like, reddish blazer a thing that I never would have picked for myself but then I put it on and I was like oh this a looks very reddish cute blazer so that sounds yeah powerful hey man but it was like casual also oh! all I'm saying is it's definitely something I would not have like selected and yet it looked real cute I love it. get started today at stitchfix.com slash shame and you'll get 25% off when you keep everything in your fix that's stitchfix.com slash shame for 25% off when you keep everything in your fix stitchfix.com slash shame Support for Hall of Shame comes from Lord Jones, makers of the world's finest CBD products. CBD is all the rage these days, but pioneering brand Lord Jones is considered the gold standard. For years, they've been changing people's lives with their premium CBD products. From world-class skincare to tinctures and gel capsules to decadent gumdrop confections, if you're curious about what CBD can do for you, trust me, you want to start with the best. Lord Jones is crafted with the highest quality ingredients and premium hemp-derived CBD that's lab-tested for purity, strength, and consistency. In fact, Lord Jones has been featured in the New York Times, People, Vogue, Vanity Fair, and more. And now, they're inviting you to experience the finest CBD products available. Go to lordjones.com shame to get 25% off your first order. lordjones.com shame for 25% off your first order. That's lordjones.com slash shame. So we're back to this March day in 2016. The one with that sad, sad beige curtain as a backdrop. Where Sharapova announces that a few days ago, she received a letter from the International Tennis Federation. A letter from the ITF that I had failed a drug test at the Australian Open. I did fail the test, and I take full responsibility for it. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I've never related more to a curtain before. So she, in her defense at this very boring press conference that matched the curtain, takes full responsibility for it. For the past 10 years, um, I have been given a medicine called... She tested positive for this drug called meldonium. And a few days ago after I received the ITF letter, um, I found out that it also has another name of meldonium, which I did not know which was banned by the World Anti-Doping Agency, the WADA, at the end of 2015. So we're in 2016, so it was very newly banned. The drug is a hormone and metabolic modulator, which specifically increases oxygen and blood flow. So effectively, 
meldonium enhanced performance and had been on the WADA's watch list for a while. Uh, it's been banned in the U.S. and the EU, but of course, as ever, Russia still allows it because Russia. <laughs> <laughs> what doesn't Classic. Russia allow? Correct. Heroin, so- <laughs> maybe. <laughs> so Maria explained that 10 years ago. To understand that for 10 years, this medicine was not on WADA's ban list, and I had been legally taking the medicine. Um, so long before it was banned, her family doctor had prescribed her this medicine that contained this ingredient. She didn't know at the time, and that it was only banned as of January 1st, 2016, so when she started <laughs> taking it many years earlier, it was totally legal. Um, I don't know if you guys can hear an eye roll, but I'm doing it right now. <laughs> yeah. And she said, I was given this medicine um, by my doctor for several health issues that I was having back in 2006. I, um, I was getting sick a lot. I was getting the flu. It was for like other health reasons. She was getting sick a lot, irregular EKGs, indications of diabetes. I don't know. I was like, Jesus, girl, like taking- get healthy. Stop eating candy. I'll tell you what, if you have indications <laughs> of diabetes, maybe don't start a candy brand. Stop <laughs> eating cinnamon hearts. Can I? So wait, she started taking this medication at how old? It, it sounds like. Uh, Either way, she was taking this medication for a very long time and still having issues. Like, why are you still t- taking this medication? So look, she <laughs> called this press conference and said she um, thought it was important to it do. Was- very important for me to come out and speak about this in front of all of you because throughout my long career I have been very open and honest because she feels she has always been open and honest and takes great responsibility in her professionalism and wanted to admit she made a mistake every single day and I made a huge mistake okay so AKA, like she knew that the news was going to drop yeah. any day and she We know to how look this better. works Maria Girl, we've been to this rodeo before. I love she's like, I take great pride in my professionalism. Serena shouldn't be dating that guy who's married. (laughs) (laughs) Also, buy my gummy worm. (laughs) So anyway, I will say on first glance, it feels like, okay, well, it was a newly banned substance that she had been taking forever. So maybe like honest mistake. Well, that eye roll is appropriate, Rachel. Because five days after the press conference on March 12, 2016, the ITF announced that they were imposing a period of ineligibility of two years. So basically from 2016 to 2018, Sharapova would be banned from playing tennis on the professional tour. Do you know at what point in her career this was at? Like, what was she like having a great year? Was she more focused on like, I mean, I think if anything, we endorsement, right? I think we've learned like she was never having like a great year. <laughs> you are so mean. She was, and I good. love it. The ITF said that while the mistake was understandable, like, okay, we just banned this drug, you'd been taking it for a long time, Sharapova failed to disclose that she was even taking this drug at all and hid her usage of it from anti-doping authorities, which, like, you can't do. So basically on her medical forms or whatever, I'm assuming it's like those, like, yellow foldy things that you take to your school to be like, (laughs) I got all my vaccinations. 
She abjectly omitted this controversial medication, but did list other vitamins and medications. So that's a little shady. Do you know what I'm she saying? Was, like, why so only omit desperate. this one? She was so desperate to that's catch up to Serena. Shady. That she uh, was taking some illegal stuff. <laughs> just call it what it is. Just call it what it is. So look, you think I mean the ITF stated at the end of their ruling, she is the sole author of her misfortune. Oh, like, damn. Okay. <laughs> Bitch, we don't care. <gasps> so after this ruling, Sharapova immediately announced that she would appeal the ban at the Court of Arbitration for Sports. She felt the two-year suspension was unfairly harsh. She also claimed that the ban would result in a loss of millions of dollars. And she wasn't, like, entirely wrong. A few brands, like Porsche, Tag here, and Avon either suspended or chose not to extend her contracts. But also Nike, Head, and Evian continued to stand by her. Like, her millions were intact. Her candy was still selling. It's going to be okay. Yeah, I'm not, um, I don't feel sorry for you. Yeah, her sentence was later reduced to 15 months, but still, like, they were not playing around. And here's the funny thing so that we don't feel guilty about the shade we've been throwing. You'd think this tennis darling, like, you know, this perfect vision of what tennis and advertisers would want, would gain support amongst her fellow players for this, all of whom I'm sure have had their own, like, you know, frustrations with the doping stuff. But the tennis world... (laughs) was not there for her. No sympathy at all. Reactions range from surprise to demanding harsher consequences. So, Oh! John McEnroe... She was the Regina George of the tennis world. That's what's happening. Totally. They wanted to push her Everybody knew. Like, maybe those endorsers didn't knew, but everybody else. So John McEnroe and Pat Cash said they found it hard to believe her. (laughs) That she was even being honest. Jennifer Capriati. I find it hard to believe anybody that comes out after like drugs have been found in their system and they always like claim vitamins or I'm always like, especially when she made a choice to list all these other things she was taking, but leave this one off. You're like, that's shady. Also, if you're a professional athlete, you have a team of people, you have trainers, you have wellness, you know, all of that. They would know what is illegal and what's not because that is their job. Literally their job. Jennifer Capriati, who, I mean, hasn't been without all of her own drama, posted on Twitter that Sharapova should be stripped of all of her professional titles. (laughs) Love it. Chris Ever expressed her lack of surprise at the poor show of support in tennis for Sharapova, noting that she always isolated herself from the rest of the tennis world and from the players. So, like, Chris Ever was like, I get why everybody's not with her. She sucks. I understand. (laughs) Serena Williams expressed surprise at Sharapova's announcement, but commended her for being upfront with what she had done. So, like, this queen, our girl Serena, is not getting pulled into this feud when again. they go low, Like, she was like, this high. is a one-sided rivalry. I'm not interested in being a part of it. And that's the best kind of reaction that you get. Love her. Have. I yeah. love Serena Williams. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you can tell. Yes. Um, Roger Federer the best men's player in the world, and others all publicly condemned Sharapova and argued that she deserved to be punished on the basis that she failed the doping test. Like, I, I, they I were love, like, you didn't do enough. She sucks. I, I love that there's so many moments where, like, athletes have been in hot water and people are like, no comment, no comment, da-da-da. Yeah. Literally everybody in the test world, like, stepped up to the mic and was like, I'll talk. I'll Look, talk about her. No problem. Jennifer Capriati hasn't played tennis in, like, a decade. She's like, I got something to say. 
<laughs> she like created a Twitter account for this yeah. moment. Yeah. Roger Federer, like known to be very like like very even to the point of boring, is like I this is bullshit. <laughs> yeah, no, she sucks. Yeah. So she must suck. So this squeaky clean image that we've all been sold on sounds like it might be a little bit of bullshit. Yeah. Which raises a couple questions. Okay, the first one is, did that squeaky clean image actually hurt her more than someone who is already considered like a troublemaker, a black sheep like you and I? (laughs) Like, because her mistakes feel more shocking, you know, in that Tiger Woods kind of way where it's like we're, they like built these brands on these innocent, like images and so whenever they make any mistake it like stands out more yeah but then they have the opportunity to have like their great comeback and then all of a sudden they're more popular yeah, even than more ever than ever before except not Sharapova because like no player was happy <laughs> on the flip side she was also relatively more successful on the publicity and endorsement front than players with more accomplishments on the tennis court and like the question is if she didn't look like she looked would she have gotten all that she got it's complicated because she was inarguably a good player if not a great one but would someone who was equally the same as her on the tennis front but didn't look like her and didn't go through such extensive measures to appear a certain way have gotten the same accolades like it's just interesting it's an interesting question um and the I answer i think is sexist no. yeah by <laughs> saying no but it does sound very she, it's, she wasn't it seemed like she was in the realm like she was a yeah that's where a, it's complicated a, a it's not like a tennis player correct but do i so maybe she would have made a million as opposed to the multi-millions that yeah. she made because she was blonde and beautiful exactly it's like less a question of did she deserve something of course she did she's very good mm-hmm. but if someone who didn't look like her. Like someone who looked like me was like, hey. But as like, I'm sure there's so many like men in marketing that work for like Tag Hewer that are like, oh my God, we don't have to hire a model. We have a tennis player that looks yeah. like a model. It's like the best of both worlds. It's already a platform. Eyes. Yeah. Here's my take. It's not like super original or anything, but like, look, it's, if someone wants to pay me a lot for something, I'm here for that. So I get it. <laughs> But I'm wary as hell of anyone who like leans so hard into being a darling or a sweetheart or a golden child, like who leans really hard into that category. Because to me, I'm like, that is a red flag. There is always such a layer of darkness. It's like Tracy Flick. There's something about being so beholden to being seen as like innocent and square and good that I find so off-putting and kind of straight up terrifying. Like, I like my heroes flawed and human and willing to own that. Yes. You know what I mean? Anybody that's nice all the time, I'm like, there's something fucked up going on with you. I always. I'm like, no, thanks. So as we talk <laughs> oh, about all yes. these athletes, like on the surface, I think Maria Sharapova is probably like the most squeaky clean person we've talked about on this podcast. Mm-hmm. You know, she's not bringing like a sixer to the clubhouse like Mr. Wade Boggs or whatever. But the fact that there were so many other athletes <laughs> that came out and were like, no, 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 you're right. Like, she sucks. It's, they were literally like, their pros like, oh, we didn't ask. And they're like, no, but I just feel like I need to say. <laughs> yeah. Can yeah. I tell you, um, like the day after or maybe two days after this press conference, I was running in Manhattan Beach and I ran past her. <gasps> I know. <laughs> Celeb sighting. The day, like the day or the day after. 
Yeah, it was weird. Like she was very, I think she was like running with her trainer and I was just like, oh my God, she's like going through a lot right now. (laughs) She ran by just like super. There's our girl, Maria Sharapova. We don't like fake people because that's, I feel like they're the most, they're the scariest and they have the most punchable faces. Well, thank you for listening. That was fun. I didn't realize all the pettiness between her and Serena. Yeah. I mean, I I knew about Just largely one-sided, which is my favorite part of it. Well, Rachel, I'm excited for next week. I'm sure we'll have another fun episode. Yep. Another one coming your way. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you. And we will see you next week. Bye. Shame is a product of Crooked Media. The show is produced by Caroline Reston and Allison Falzetta. Our executive producers are Sarah Geismer and Stephen Hoffman. Engineering and sound design by Kyle Seglin and Charlotte Landis. Our theme music is by Taka Yasuzawa. Thank you to Sydney Rapp and Brian Semmel for production support every week. Hold up. 